If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at the book of Joshua with, with me. I think that many of you would agree that that's one of your favorite songs. What a, what a day that will be, of course, and, and we'll see him, and, and it's a glorious time. And there are other songs that you may uh, enjoy. Uh, some of you perhaps have your own. I have my own favorite hymn, and uh, Come Thou Fount is my favorite song. But I also like the words, the song Save Saved. Maybe you've heard the song. I think it was written by J.P. Schofield. Schofield wrote the song after one of Mordecai Ham's meetings in Gonzales, Texas. They used to have big camp meetings. And, and of course, uh, Mordecai Ham was one of the great evangelists of the time. And he was preaching on the subject of Christ our refuge. And while he was preaching it, and the audience was a young man, that had killed four men. And he was listening to Ham explain that Christ has uh, kind of pictures uh, the refuge for sinners. Like in the Old Testament, they had these cities of refuge that you would run to uh, to be able to be protected by the God of heaven. And how Christ is the modern day city of refuge. And when Mordecai Ham began to preach on it, kind of at a high volume, midway through the sermon, the man jumped up and he shouted, Saved! 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 Can you imagine that? A man who killed four people came to know the God of heaven and realized that if he came to Christ, that even Jesus would forgive him of that terrible task. I think we kind of lose sometimes the understanding of what happens to us when we're born again. Sitting there in his seat, he found Christ as his refuge, and Schofield was so moved and so inspired by that that he wrote these words. I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. I don't know if you, if I, I wish I could sing it for you. But if I start singing it, then everything, it'll just go live, and then people will be, you know, hitting it, and we'll have thousands and thousands of viewers, and we don't want to do that. So I'm not going to sing. But this is what he says, I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. I love to tell how he lifted me and what his grace can do for you. Saved by the power divine, by his power divine, saved to a new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete for I'm saved. Just, just think about that. An individual in the pew sits up and, and cries out those three words and then Schofield writes a song concerning it. I, I like the word saved. Uh, I don't know if you do or not. Unfortunately, uh, we don't use that word much anymore these days, but it is a biblical word of being saved. Sometimes when you see someone and you're wondering where they are spiritually, um, you, you shake their hand and you say, are you saved? You know, uh, I ask, sometimes I ask people that, are you saved? And they say, well, I was in a car wreck one time and, and, uh, and I got saved through that. And I'll say, well, explain that a little bit. What I'm talking about is somebody who is actually understanding that you cannot save yourself, that there is a sin issue, and everyone is born with that same sin issue. And uh, it's a universal curse, sin. Would you agree with me? Okay, so there's a universal cure then, and that universal cure is just one, one person, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He went to Calvary, and he died a sinner's death, but he rose again to conquer both the sting of death and the fear of death. 
And so we understand this, and it gives us an understanding a little bit more of being saved. Ephesians 2, verse number 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And so you are saved, the Bible uses that term, but we're saved through faith. And not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And so we understand that this is a biblical term. The word saved declares a wonderful Bible truth. And the word simply means that we have been delivered. We have been rescued, if you would. That's the Greek word for the word delivered, rescued. I think it's in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And so praise God that I have been saved and praise God that you have been saved and that you understand what it means to be saved. I hope you are saved. I think it's interesting when we think about this story, and there's so much involved in Joshua chapter 2. I could actually preach till noon, but I'm not going to do that. I hope to be able to be out a little early today uh, for us, and I, I, key word is hope. So, you know, don't get your hope up too far, but I try to get done a little earlier so that we can go and have something to eat. But I want to make this point this morning is that there is an incredible understanding in this text of God's great deliverance of any soul that will come to God. In verse number 18, that's our key verse. We looked at it a little bit. Let me just read it to you again. It says, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's house home unto thee. That is a promise that is actually given by some Jewish men. You may understand a little bit more of the story. Uh, we were able to, to read a little portion of it, but the story is that, that God, of course, was going to allow the children of Israel to come out of bondage, to wander in the wilderness, and then they were going to go across the Jordan River, and they were going to be able to be in the promised land. And we know the story. Joshua was uh, Moses' uh, recruit, if you would, disciple, and uh, Joshua now has the responsibility of helping the children of Israel and to be able to cross over Jordan. And it's an exciting story because they're going to conquer uh, Jericho. We know that the walls of Jericho are going to tumble down. And you remember the story. They march around and, and uh, seven times. And on the seventh day, they are supposed to uh, cry out. And then the trumpets blow and the walls come down. Remember the story? And by the way, they fell outward, we know, and then they were able to climb up and get into, there was another little small central wall that was in there, and this is where this lady's house was built. I want to just begin in verse number one, because I think it'd be good for us to understand a little bit more about what's going on here. Look at verse number one of chapter two. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent unto Shedom two men to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land which Jericho, and they went, and came into the harlot's house, named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told that the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came uh, in hither tonight 
of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come unto thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and then said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. I didn't know where they went. And it came to pass about that time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, and whither the men went, I wot not, pursue after them quickly, for they shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of, of, of the house, and had hid them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid uh, in order upon the roof. And the men pursued um, after them the way to Jordan, Unto the fords, and as soon as they which pursued after them were gone, they shut the gate. So it's an interesting story because what happens is they, they go into a prostitute's house or a harlot's house, and, and they go up in there and, and, and they're going to abide with her, and then they find out, well, the, the king's men are coming. Uh, you better hide. And so she hides them on the roof and takes the stalks, you know, your big long corn stalks or whatever flax that they had. And they were able to go underneath uh, them and kind of hide them. And so the men were hiding uh, until they were actually rescued and they were delivered. And for the kindness of it then, she was going to also be delivered. Uh, but then there was this need uh, to be able to uh, put a scarlet thread, if you would, in the window of her of her house so that they knew that, that these people helped and so they were going to actually save the whole household. Pretty powerful story if we think about it. But I want to talk about, first of all, the Lord that is trusted for salvation. And that's the first thing that we see here. Um, the first question really that I want to answer is how are we saved? Well, the Bible makes it really clear that the, the, in, in Acts chapter 16, many of you have this verse memorized, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And of course, Paul and Silas answered, uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So salvation comes when we put our faith and our trust and our belief uh, on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are saved. Rahab is an example of one who trusted the Lord for salvation. She brings that out. Notice with me the salvation experience of Rahab. First of all, I want to point out the word that she actually received. And so there is words being spoken today from the pulpit, and you can receive them or you can reject them. And I hope you don't get too used to hearing them. I think Christians love to hear the old, old story over and over again. And if you're here this morning... I want you to know that God is happy and pleased that you are here, but he wants you to also hear what's being said. And so we're dealing with the, the understanding of trust. She trusted in the Lord. First of all, she trusted in the word, but she also received the word. And so these two men uh, found lodging in her house, Rahab. It was learned that, that the two men uh, were in the city and Rahab hid them on the roof by covering them with the stalks. And then uh, notice with me, though, if you would, verses 9 and 11. Uh, she said then, verse number 9, uh, if you look at your Bibles, let's look at verse number 8 also. And before they laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto them, or she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that's your terror is fallen upon us, 
and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. What an incredible thing. He goes on to say in verse number 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, um, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. And neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Listen to what she said. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She is actually with her own understanding. Now, this is a person who actually, you would never think that she would actually help the people of God. Sometimes we think that someone has sinned so far that they can't be helped by God. Let me tell you something. God can use anything. And if he can use a donkey in the Old Testament to talk, he can use you. And he can use you and you feel like right now perhaps that God doesn't even care about you, that everybody's forgotten about you. Let me tell you something, sir. God knows exactly who you are and he knows how far you've gone. And he wants to bring you out of that so that he could use you and he could preserve you and that you can be without fear and live a life of something that actually would be productive in our culture today. But twice she spoke of what she had heard at some point by someone. She had heard of God and the children of Israel. And I think of how salvation is always proceeding out of the mouth of others. And each of us that are saved somewhere and by someone, we heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and we hear the gospel message. And I think it's important for us to continue to remember the scriptures say in Romans 10, verse number 17, then faith cometh by hearing and hear, hearing by the word of God. And so how are they going to hear unless they have a preacher? I think you're thinking that I'm the only one that's supposed to be preaching the gospel. No, you are too. It's not just the preacher. Oh my goodness, we can't swap the gospel for some kind of spiritual duty. We think, well, I do this at the church and I do that. Well, that doesn't exempt you from the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't go away with your position. The Great Commission is something that we all need to be speaking to every person we see, especially in the day we live now. How many would think that we're living in the last days? Do you think that? And we're supposed to occupy till he comes. And I think that it would be good for us to kind of increase a little bit with our responsibilities and our duties that we're doing and say, Lord, I know you're going to come soon. I don't know how many days I have left, but you told me to number my days. And so with that day, I want to do as much as I can for you. You may have heard about the Lord through the preacher or preaching a message like I'm doing this morning, or it may have been through being at home, you spoke to someone at work perhaps, or maybe your mother or your father, a Sunday school teacher. It may have been through the preaching on TV or listening to a sermon on the radio. YouTube and much more resources. And however, someone told you the story of Jesus Christ and how he will save you even from all of your sin. Rahab described how the message affected her and in others, and she knew that their hearts did melt within them. The inhabitants of the land fainted because of you. Uh, verse number 11, our hearts did melt, and that word faint means to soften, became weak, 
Um, the word melt actually means to lick, liquify, lick, lick, liquidify, and it means to speak or being afraid or becoming fearful, uh, but yet it also means to be reverent and pliable. And maybe there's been some things in your life that have made you pliable recently. That's all God. And he softened your heart so you could listen to the gospel and be saved. I think it's interesting about an old Nazarene preacher named Uncle Buddy Robinson. And he said this, I went to hear this Methodist preacher preach. And he preached on heaven till I wanted to go there. And then he preached on hell till I thought I was going there. It's interesting that the preaching of the word influences people. And thank God somebody spoke to me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank God that the Spirit of God came to our house back in McFarland and somehow God worked in the heart of my mom and dad. And so then he just taught me the gospel and guess what I get? Streets of gold because of Jesus Christ. Can't wait to get there, but you know what? I got work to do yet, especially in the next 10 years. We got to get this building in order before Jesus comes. It's interesting as you think about things because this was also the Lord that she received. And notice again her words with me in verse 11 For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. What a beautiful thing. Where's Ron Hamilton? I'd like to write another song. Oh, he's in heaven. So somebody else to take these words, give them to Abigail Miller, give them to somebody so they can write a song concerning this because we ought to be singing that he is the God of heaven. And he's also the God on earth. I used to love hearing Dr. Champlin preach in chapel and he'd always talk about he is the God of heaven. Sometimes when I'm praying, I say, oh, God of heaven, listen to what I'm saying. Can you help me? Strengthen me. Give me your power. Rahab, of course, was a Canaanite. And as a Canaanite, she would have worshipped false gods like Baal and Asheroth. And yet we hear her declaring that the God of Israel is the God of both heaven and earth. And she was confessing that, that there were not many gods, but there was one God. That's what she was saying. Her words were coming from a, a culture, a person in a culture like the culture we have in America today. America today is in trouble. We are in trouble because we have forgotten the God of heaven. And we have been, become pluralistic in our thinking. And we think that there are many ways to get to heaven, like Oprah was saying years ago. No, there is just one God, and his name is Jehovah. And he had one son, and his name is Jesus Christ. And there is one gospel, and the gospel is to repent and believe, and then follow Jesus Christ. I talk to people every single week, and you know what they're telling me? Everybody's a Christian. Everybody's a Christian today. You ever talk to someone, I say, I'm a Christian, and their, and their, life, and their life doesn't show it? I need to keep going with this sermon because i got a whole other one I want to think about. But Thank God there was a time when I accepted Christ. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And when helping people learn how to show someone from the scriptures how they can be, be saved and, and how they can go to heaven, this would be a good question. Suppose you were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? We also teach them that they will get one or two answers, a faith answer uh, or a work answer. A faith answer Right, work answer will always be wrong. Someone will say, well, I, 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 I. 
When you talk to someone about their salvation, they ought to say because of him. Because of what he did. He finished it on the cross. And yet I think Rahab, uh, I ask a question when I think about her, did works save Rahab? Was she saved because of how she lived? Absolutely not. Joshua chapter 2, verse number 1, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out to Shedem two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Who was Rahab? Or we should say, what was Rahab? What was her identity? She was a harlot. She had anything but good in her, in her life to offer God. She was nothing but a poor, bankrupt sinner, a miserable soul, but yet she was saved. How? How is it certain? And how can we be certain that we're going to heaven? She was saved because she accepted the Lord as her Lord. Have you done that yet? No. No, you're still on your throne. You still are there, dear sir. You are, ma'am. I'm not talking about someone who's been born again. I'm talking about someone who thinks they're morally pure enough to get to heaven. You are not, because we're all sinners needing a Savior. I think of an illustration years, years ago I read about Aldergate Street in London. It's the place where John Wesley attended a meeting one night, and he had been brought up in a strict religious home, and there were many rules that he had, and he had been preaching for years, and, and he had been a devout religious man, rising up at four o'clock in the morning for prayer and Bible study, but yet there was something missing in his heart. He had be, been depending upon who he was and what he did for salvation, but that night something began when somebody was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. And John Wesley said about an hour, about a quarter of an hour before nine, I felt a strange warmness in my heart. He saw that salvation was by faith and faith alone. There was no works involved at all. Wesley, describing that night, said, I, I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And the assurance was given to me, and I sensed that I was saved, and I knew it. He left that meeting and went straight to the home of his brother Charles on Little Britain Street. In fact, he ran to his brother's house, and he came around the corner running. His friends said that they could not keep up with him. He ran up to the stairs, and he looked at his brother, and he yelled, I believe! And his brother knew exactly what happened to him. He was saved because of putting his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at today. But the, Phil, Phil, the Philippian jailer says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And maybe that's you today. Like Rahab, you would take the Lord to be your Savior. The life, not only is a life of trust, but also a life of transformation. What an incredible transformation here. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Maybe that's your favorite verse, I don't know. But you had a change in your life years ago, and God placed you on the right road, and you're on the right path, and you were happy with God, and you served him, and you did what was right. 
This old world seems to have lots to offer, you think. And you think that maybe perhaps it's fun to party. It's fun to be able to live loosely. Let me tell you something, dear friend. This world will chew you up and spit you out. This world has nothing to offer you. Go to the grave of some of these popular people. Guess what? They're dead and they can't help you. Hollywood's full of them. People craving to be recognized, to being popular. What will that get you? It'll get you nothing. Oh, let me be a poor, lost sinner in need of a savior. And crying out to him, you be my king. Let me enter into your kingdom because of what you've done. An illustration also years ago, a fellow was preaching on a street corner and an agnostic in the crowd heckled him and kept crying out, you're just a dreamer. (laughs) He kept preaching, you're just a dreamer. And finally, a little boy in the crowd reached up and tapped him on the arm and said, that's my daddy preaching. He used to come home drunk, and he'd beat my mom, and sometimes he'd kick me. We used to go hungry for days, and we didn't know where daddy was. But now he loves us. And he takes care of us. And if my daddy's dreaming, sir, shut up and don't wake him up. (laughs) Salvation is more than a dream. It's an experience. It's a new life. Let me look a little further. What Rahab was. When I think about the life of Rahab, I think of the corruption that she lived in. I've already mentioned that she was identified as a harlot, the Bible says. She had lived a life of immorality and degradation, of course. But one day she met the Lord and her life was never the same. Her identity changed also. She became a new creature. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I know that in my life there were marvelous changes that happened and they continue to happen. The difference was not noticeable at first perhaps, but I was saved when I was a young boy and I grew up and it became very apparent that my life was different. I was different than the average classmate I had. I was different than everybody that was with me in high school and I was different with those that I hung out with in places I shouldn't have been. I knew down in my heart that I was different. And so do you. Because you know God is calling you. and You cannot mingle with the wicked or you'll sense that shame and that guilt and you can't live with that. I had no desire to do what was wrong. I had no desire to remain in my sin. I'd often tell them I shouldn't be doing this. And I would pray to God, help me. And they'd be able to, to bless his name and Salvation makes the chain and change in anybody's life. And when I think of Rahab, I think about how her name is listed in the great 11th chapter of the Hebrews. You could say that she went from the house of shame to the hall of fame. And Jesus makes the difference in any person's life. And you can actually get rid of the guilt and the shame. And you can live above all of that. And you can live the life that, he, that God wants you to live and the freedom and the liberty that he wants to give you.
not only think of the corruption life that she lived, but I also think of the condemnation she felt. Rahab was living in the city of Jericho. This was a city that had been given to the children of Israel. It says in verse number 2 of chapter 6, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And Rahab was living in the city, was awaiting destruction, and she understood this. And I believe that she trembled on the inside. She says, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. She asked for that in chapter 2, verse number 12. It's interesting, in verse number 13 of chapter 2, and they will, you shall be saved alive, he's saying to her. And everything's going to go well for you. And you'll be able to come out alive. She was asking for mercy. And she was asking that she would be spared. And she'd be delivered. Later on in the sixth chapter of Joshua, verse number 21, the Bible says, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and women, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass at the edge of the sword. Verse 22, But Joshua had said unto the two men, that had spied under the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out then the woman and all that she hath as, she, as you swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the city of, of Israel. Wow, what a blessing. When the city was captured, Rahab was spared. and Salvation was not only there to change her present life, but it also her future life. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. And when she had received the spies with peace, what a beautiful story. It's interesting and beautiful to me because this woman could have died with the city and could have been destroyed. Can I share this with you? The Bible makes it really clear. How many believe that there was a flood and destroyed the world? Raise your hand if you believe that. You know what Second Peter tells us? That God's never going to do that again with a flood. He's going to destroy it by fire. It's hard for us to comprehend what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah was because of an abomination to God. It is an abomination for a man to lie with a man. And it is an abomination for a woman to lie with a woman. Now think about that. And what's going on in our culture today, because little by little, all these educational institutions are accepting more and more of lies that actually will cause destruction rather than be built up. In a similar fashion, those who have been saved, been delivered from the wrath to come, the Bible tells us that. What she would become, that is amazing, one of the amazing aspects of salvation. We talk about, think of Rahab, a woman who had been a harlot and now has become saved and wonderfully illustrated and transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ for one that had lived a life of shame but then afterward has a testimony of God. What a powerful thing. 
I think of what would become with her lineage. And I've got a little time yet. I want to be able to share with you that because of Rahab, because of the lineage of Rahab, that there's a lot here, but I want you to think about it. You don't have to turn there in your Bibles, but Matthew 1, verses 5 through 6, talk about Salman, who begat Booz and Rechab. And Booz begat Odeb of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat the king, the David the king. And so when we read the lineage of the Lord, we see that there are certain people that are involved. Booz is the same as Boaz. Rachab is Rahab, and so she's mentioned in Matthew chapter number 1. It's hard for us to comprehend this completely, but it is true that God actually used Rahab, and she was involved with the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just speak for a little bit in closing concerning... um, Let me move forward here and get rid of a lot of illustrations and a lot of verses because I want to get right to the topic now that's at hand. There's something called the law of the first mention, and that caused me to look, if you would, for a place that actually mentions the scarlet thread because they were supposed to take this scarlet thread or the scarlet cord that they were let down from the roof on and were able to have the deliverance and the freedom. But that scarlet rope, if you would, is mentioned in other places in the Bible. It's interesting because it's actually mentioned in Genesis 38, if you want to turn there. Genesis 38, verse number 27. And the Bible, and let me just set this up a little bit. We're talking about Judah in the passage. And Judah, of course, had a daughter-in-law. And that daughter-in-law tricked him. And she got pregnant. It's a long story. But we're thinking sin, aren't we? We're thinking incest. We're thinking of immorality. We're thinking of terrible things. And that's what happens here in the story. She gets pregnant with twins. But look what it says. It came to pass in the time of, of her travail... Behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed, that means started screaming, that one put out his hand. And the midwife took bound his hand a scarlet thread, saying, this came out first. So he's the firstborn, correct? Tie his scarlet thread around his hand. And it came to pass as he drew it back, back his hand. And behold, his brother came out, and she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. And therefore his name was called Pharez. And afterward came out his brother that had scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Interesting because Pharez means division or rupture or breach. And Sarah, Zerah, if you would, means east or brightness. It's interesting when we think about this because 
these particular names, Perez and Zerah are mentioned, but also this particular truth is found in the book of Ruth. If you wanted to change to the book of Ruth, Joshua, Judges, then Ruth, you want to look at that later, you can, but write it down now, Ruth chapter 4, 18 through 22. Tamar is, of course, the, the woman mentioned here as placed as a place then in Ruth. And Tamar, therefore, in the 18th verse to 22, Tamar, therefore, has the place as one of the female ancestors in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So Ruth, chapter 4, verse 18, now these are the generations of what? Pharez. And Pharez begat Hezron. And Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amminadab. And Amadinadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon. Remember Salmon, Mark, or Matthew chapter 1? Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And we remember and understand the truth that Jesus Christ came from the lineage of Judah and David. Never been talked about a lot. But these two women, are mentioned in the Bible, both the harlot Rahab and the woman who deceived her father-in-law were in the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because it's never been about what you do. It's been about what Jesus Christ has already done. He has died for your sin. And while we were yet sinners, God commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. And Christ died for us. But guess what? He didn't just die. He rose again so that we could live a new life. And we could be among the redeemed. And so it doesn't matter how filthy you feel. It doesn't matter what you've done. You come to the feet of Jesus and he will forgive you. And he will heal you. Charles Spurgeon once had a dream. The illustration goes like this. He had a dream that he arrived at the gates of heaven. And as he arrived, he saw a long line of people entering the gate to the heavenly city. And he watched the group entered singing and praising God. And he asked, who are they? And the angel replied, these are the patriarchs. The heart of Spurgeon sank as he thought to himself, I'm not a patriarch. I will not be able to go in. He continued to watch as another group bigger than the first march and singing and shouting. And he said, who are they? And the angel replied, these are the prophets and the apostles. And his heart sank even more for he knew that he was not a prophet, nor a priest, nor a king. Another group passed by and the group was much larger. And they marched triumphantly into the city and their banner waving in the air, and the shouts of praises were filling the air, and their faces were lit up with the glory of God. And as before, he said, who are they? And the angel said, these are the martyrs. These are they who gave their life for the cause of Christ. Spurgeon began to weep. I could never enter the city. I'm no patriarch. I'm no prophet, I'm no apostle, and certainly I'm not willing to even lay my life down for the cause of Christ. But then another group appeared on the horizon. The number was much more than a person could even say. 
Their shouts and praises filled the air like thunder, and they sang and they clapped their hands and they danced and they shouted, and Spurgeon looked closer at the group and he thought, no, that can't be. That's the drunkard that came to the service just last Sunday night. And he looked closer and surely that can't be her. That's that harlot that I spoke on in the street corner one time and I gave her the gospel. The group drew closer and he recognized this one and that one. Then he looked at the angel and he said, who are they? And the angel replied, these are they who have been washed and have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. And Spurgeon began to clap. He began to clap his hands. I can go in, for I too have washed my robes in the blood of the Lamb. What a beautiful story. And somebody has put that to song. Abigail Miller did. And it's interesting as we think about this, because many times we feel like we're so insignificant. Well, guess what? So do these people in the Scriptures. So did the person by the pool of Bethesda until his eyes met the eyes of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, what wilt thou have me to do? And he said, basically, heal me. And so he did. Get up and walk. And he took up his bed. And he began to walk home, leaping and rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we have a lot to be thankful for. Because no matter how Wicked this world gets. Our God in heaven is still saving people. You think that Jericho was wicked? Yeah. You think that the world is wicked? Yes. But God is still interested in calling people out of the world into a relationship with him. One of the worst things that we could ever do is become religious. Because once you become religious, you think that you're better than everybody else. Because you do so many good things. Let me tell you something, dear friend. Look at the person next to you and love them and care for them as much as Jesus did. And your life will change. Humble your heart. And God will change you so that you can become what God wants you to be. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you came this morning to to just be with people. But I really believe that God led you here. I believe his spirit was involved with your steps as you walked towards your car or as you got on the bus. I believe that the Holy Spirit was leading you to be right in the pew that you're at right now this morning. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Howell, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've thought about religion, but I've never thought about a relationship. But I'm missing something in my life. Whether you are Rahab, whether you are Tamar, or whether you are the Wesley that says, I'm wicked. Without Jesus, I have nothing. And maybe this, this morning you'd say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need to become a Christian by asking Jesus Christ to come in. It's time for me to repent. It's time for me to believe. And it's time for me to be a follower of Jesus. Is there anyone here this morning who would say, pray for me? I want to make that decision today. Just lift up your hand. Put it back down again rather quickly. Lift it up. Put it back down again. Is that you? 
Is God speaking to you? Is his spirit working in your heart? Just lift up your hand and say, yes, pray for me, Pastor. Anyone? And God is speaking to Christians then today, dear friend. Why have you been so sluggish in your walk with him? He's delivered you. You're free. Then turn to him this morning, and he'll give you the power. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet this morning? Let's have an invitation. If you sense your need this morning to come and be saved, then come. Someone will show you from the scripture how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And the Spirit of God will prompt you. Just say yes to him. Yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, I'll trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. My answer is yes, Lord, yes. But maybe it's just to come and pray at an old-fashioned altar and renew your vows to God. Why don't you come? I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, the invitation is for you. Father, I pray that you'd work and your power would be here. In Jesus' name, amen.